You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that I told you to call. Tommy's on a little bit of a vacation, but he's going to call in. Jason Locke and Fora uh, will be on the show today. And Steve Sands also. He's at Torrey Pines where Tiger Woods makes his 2019 debut uh, today. The Caps lost again last night, seven in a row now. Heading into the All-Star break, uh, they lost uh, against Toronto last night. If you missed Greg Wyshynski yesterday on the podcast, ESPN senior NHL writer uh, was on the show. Just go to yesterday's episode and listen. Um, he was not alarmed by the Caps' recent losing streak. Uh, also, if you want to listen to recent episodes, I'll give you this one right now. It's at the one twenty-seven. 45 mark. So an hour, 27 minutes, 45 seconds into yesterday's show, you can listen to Greg Wyshynski. Uh, and you can listen to all of the past es- episodes at thekevinsheehanshow.com, which is what, you know, it's great about a podcast. You missed the show last week, you want to listen to it, or if you missed, hey, if you missed when we broke down the Dallas game back in October or whenever they beat Dallas and you want to listen to that one go back and listen to happier times when happier we're talking times. about what a disaster it would have to be for the Redskins not to win the NFC East <laughs> yes when we were pretty bullish that they were in the midst of potentially a playoff season uh Golden State's in town tonight um I'm gonna be there tonight uh what a scene it is when they are in town it is the biggest show uh opponent show that there is, uh, even more so than LeBron in recent years when the Warriors have been here. And I've seen now the Warriors two or three times out of the last four years, I think. Um, but it is quite the show uh, downtown. They've won They've won eight in a row. They are playing the best they've played all year long. Most of their wins during this win streak have been blowouts. Um, the Wizards are also playing their best right now. It's strange about this Wizards team in recent years, that they tend to play these games very well. They're a a nine-and-a-half, ten-point underdog tonight. That seems high, but I guarantee you the public's going to be all over Golden State tonight, and I think the Wizards plus the number tonight is right. Maybe I'm just hopeful because I'm going to be at the game. Uh, James Harden went off last night at Madison Square Garden. 61 for Harden last night. He tied Kobe Bryant for the most points ever for a visiting player uh, to the Garden. It's his 21st straight game with 30 or more. 21 in a row with 30 or more points. None of the 61, again like the 57 and 58 last week back-to-back, none of them were assisted. Although his last two came off of a steal and a loose ball that he picked up, that sort of was an assist. Um, But anyway, Houston beat the Knicks. He had, in the performance last night, the uh, 61-point performance last night, he also had 15 rebounds and five steals in the game. The best performance of the night, however came in college basketball last night. I wanted to take a quick minute just to make all of you who have not paid attention to college basketball yet, but will in about a month and a half when we get to March Madness. I want to make you aware of a player by the name of Grant Williams 
Um, he is a legitimate player of the year candidate. Tennessee last night was in trouble. If you don't know this, Tennessee's the number one team in college basketball right now. They're ranked number one in the nation. And they were in big trouble last night at Vanderbilt. They were down six with a minute to go, and there was a terrible flagrant, uh, flagrant foul called, which gave uh, Tennessee four points on one possession. It led to, to a forced overtime, and they won the game in overtime 88-83. But the best performance of the night last night in basketball, um, and maybe of the year in college basketball, was what six seven junior forward Grant Williams did last night for the Volunteers at Vanderbilt. He had 43 last night, but get this. He was 23 of 23 from the free throw line. 23 of 23. He didn't miss a free throw on 23 attempts. It was the second most made free throws without a miss in college basketball history. Someone went 24 for 24 back in 1959. I don't even know what the guy's name was. But if you haven't watched Grant Williams, or Tennessee for that matter, um, this is a heads up for a month and a half from now. Because Tennessee is a legit good team. And Grant Williams, you've heard about Zion Williamson, and you've heard about R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish, and I've mentioned Ree Hachimura at Gonzaga, uh, Carson Edwards at Purdue. They're all really good players, and they're all in the mix for player of the year, but Grant Williams is too. He's 6'7", he's thick, he's got great hands, he's a terrific shooter, he's a great low-post player. And here's the comp for all of you, for the older portion, the older portion of the audience today. Just think Adrian Dantley. He knows how to get buckets, Grant Williams does. He knows how to get to the free throw line. The only difference is that Williams is is a better athlete than Dantley was, but he gets to the rim in that patient, you know, crafty way with head fakes and spin moves and up and unders and fadeaways. He can face, he can post. Uh, he's just he's he's a fun player to watch, and he's going to be a fun player to watch at the next level, uh, too, because he's going to be a scorer too in the NBA. But that's a really good team, a very well coached team. I've I've always been a Rick Barnes fan, going back to to Clemson when he coached there. He clo- coached George Mason to start his career. He was a Gary Williams assistant many 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 years ago at Ohio, at Ohio State. Um, But Grant Williams is a star on a team that has other star players and a ton of experience. Tennessee's players, best players, are all juniors and seniors. You don't usually think Tennessee when you think Final Four or National Championship, um, but they're going to be there in March. Uh, They still have both of their games with Kentucky left. I think both of them are next month. And the SEC is pretty good. Auburn's good. Ole Miss is good. Mississippi State's good. But Tennessee's got a really good chance to end up with a one seed when all is said and done regular season-wise. Fun team to watch, uh, and I love watching Grant Williams play. He is legit good. All right, did you see the DJ Swearinger thing on Instagram yesterday? I did see that. So a month after his release, um, in fact, actually, it's a month to the day. It was Christmas Eve that he got released. Am I right about that? I believe so. Yeah, so it's a month to the day that he got released. He's in Arizona now. That's where he signed. Um, He went off on Jay Gruden yesterday on Instagram. Uh, He was responding to a Redskin fan on Instagram who reached out to tell DJ Swearinger how missed uh, he is. Um, And this was the quote from Swearinger. Quote, 
Y'all will never win, big bro. I've seen championship swagger from a coach, B.A., he a OG. Now I interrupt uh, the quoting of Swearinger's uh, Instagram for some translation here. Uh, B.A., I believe he's referring to Bruce Arians. I think that's Bruce Arians. And that's the coach he played for in Arizona the last time he was there. And OG, well, I mean, come on, man. I mean, that's easy for most of us middle-aged suburban fathers. It's original gangsta. Come on. All right, so we go back to the quote now that I've done the translating part of it. Uh, And I'll start from the beginning just so we didn't lose some of you out there. Y'all will never win, big bro. I've seen championship swagger from a coach B.A. He a OG. And then it goes as follows. That coach y'all have will never win. He'll never win big because it ain't in him to coach discipline. He's referring to Jay Gruden now. It ain't in him to chew somebody out in practice because they lacking. When you say I'm a cancer for wanting to practice harder or wanting to get coached harder just to win, then winning probably, probably not for you or you don't understand that hard work pays off. Mediocre work get you beat. Remember this, winners are born, but champions are made. A strong leader of men make others around him better. Spread peace, love, and elevation in everything you do, little brudda. Be easy. So that was DJ Swearinger. That was awesome. I mean, I think we need an entire podcast of you reading uh, players' tweets. Look, a few things to point out before we get to the Gruden part. Um, First of all, I don't know if anybody else, you know, picked up on this. Bruce Arians has never won a championship, and he referred to BA as a championship swagger coach. I like Bruce Arians as a coach. As a coach. Um, and DJ Swearinger hasn't won a championship either. In fact, I went to look this up because I was curious about all of his championship swagger and all of his lecturing on how to be a winner. You know what his record is on the teams he played on? 38-51-1. and that's the, that's the record of the teams that he's played on as a starter or a significant minutes guy. 38-51-1. So old DJ hadn't won anything either. I love the winning Prolly. Probably was was Prolly. P-R-O-L-L-Y. Um, winning Prolly, not for you. Winner are winners are born, but champions are made, he wrote. I mean, is he serious? Because his winning's probably not for him either. Because he hasn't won much. Look, in all seriousness, I'll get to the Gruden part in a moment. You do not win with players like DJ Swearinger. I know some of you out there think he's totally right about everything he said. And the team was wrong to let him go. But you usually don't win with guys who can't be coached. He was not able to follow simple, team-driven instruction. Jay Gruden said, keep your mouth shut and stop backstabbing everybody on this team and everybody that coaches the team and plays with you to the media. It's not that hard. I know you want to win, DJ. I know you work hard and you're a good player. We get it. But your backstabbing erases all of the good things that you bring. I thought DJ Swearinger was a good game day player. I did. I I thought he was a good player. But you don't usually win with guys that are uncoachable backstabbers. And he has he has not won anywhere he's been in the NFL. Let's just make that point and emphasize it. Not one legit winning team has he been on. 
There was the Arizona team that lost in the playoffs, got blown out by Carolina in the playoffs. He was on that team. If he were a transcendent talent, you know, if he were Ed Reed or Sean Taylor or Ken Easley or Ken Houston, you know, you figure it out. But he's not even close to that. He's fierce. He's good. I like the way he plays, but he's not an overwhelming transcendent talent to overcome the backstabbing uncoachability of him and and his persona. All right, let's get to the part about what he said about Jay Gruden because that is a separate issue. And keep in mind, keep in mind, that DJ Swearinger is predisposed to being highly critical of people, not building them up. That's his move, to criticize people. But when he says about Jay Gruden, that coach you all have will never win because it ain't in him to coach discipline. It ain't in him to chew somebody out in practice because they lacking. You know it and I know it. It rings true about Jay Gruden. I've been told that Swearinger was told a half dozen times minimum to not criticize his teammates and coaches publicly before Jay finally had had enough and cut him. I mean, it took a half dozen warnings from Jay before he acted. Jay is easy. Jay is coachable. Uh, I've, I've made that point before that this is why Bruce and Dan like him. He's go along to get along. He just wants to, you know, do right by Dan and Bruce. He's never going to push back. He's never going to be confrontational. Um, he really, I think Jay just wants to design an offense and coach offense. He's not a, dis- a disciplinarian. He's not a big time leader of men. He's not an all around good coach. He has strengths. He does. They are, as we've talked about in the past, his ability to get people open in the passing game. He's good at that. Other coaches recognize it. I guarantee you if Jay Gruden were available, he'd get picked up to be an offensive coordinator again. There would be a bidding for him as an offensive coordinator. But he is is an average to subpar head coach. You know, his players like him because he's easy. His front office likes him because he doesn't push back. Everyone was in Mobile this week, except for Jay Gruden. You know, as a side note, Jay Gruden may be the best talent evaluator in the organization right now. I've been told that in the past by multiple people, that Gruden has a real eye for talent. But he's not involved in that. You know, he doesn't even have final say over his staff. And he doesn't seem to care that much. Here's something to watch. If if Bill Callahan comes back, And it was reported, I think, by J.P. Finley the other day that he's going to be back. I think Bruce told J.P. Finley that. Maybe told Michael Phillips that as well. Um, That's a Bruce call. It contradicts what Gruden likely wants. But Jay will make it work as best as he can, and he's not going to put up a big fight over it. He'll probably sit down and hash it out with Callahan. They'll try to get on the same page. Jay doesn't want conflict. He doesn't enjoy that style, that discomfort. Even though a lot of successful coaches, successful managers in business will tell you it's essential to have some of that conflict. That's not him. If the Redskins are in the market for a quarterback and they appear to be, shouldn't Jay be involved? Shouldn't he be in Mobile? He didn't even look at the quarterbacks in the draft last year. He admitted it. The Alex Smith trade? Jay wouldn't have made that trade on his own. I'm convinced of it. I am convinced of it. But when Bruce said, hey, we made this trade, 
I think, or you know, or or if he was consulted from this standpoint before, hey, uh, Jay, what do you think about Alex Smith? Yeah, I like Alex Smith. Okay, and then he's told that they traded for him. He's fine with it. He's fine with it. He's go along to get along. And I think this is what DJ Swearinger was saying in his Instagram post. And I think he's right. And this is why I think there's a, a, a larger big picture issue is that even when change comes, and it will eventually come, you know, Dan's not going to have Jay Gruden coach his team forever. You know, will he be, uh, you know, will he be strong enough? Will he be secure enough to go get a, a stand-up, no-nonsense, structured, disciplined, pushback, confrontational head coach? A guy that's not going to put up with a, with the bullshit. He's not going to put up with an owner or a team president picking his staff for him. Let's welcome in Jason Lockenfora to the show. Been a long time since I've talked to you, in part because I used to always love having you back in the day when you were covering the skins on the radio show. But once we became an ESPN affiliate, that made it more yeah. difficult for you. But I've enjoyed you on Tony's podcast and your writing and reporting and, and CBS work as well. And you've got a podcast. It's Be More Opinionated. And I'm assuming yeah. that you can get it anywhere you can get a podcast, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all of it, right? Yep, or you can go to our website, www.bmoshow.com, and, and we've got all the uh, episodes and our various rants and uh, ravings and whatever our intern feels like posting that week about the Ravens or the Orioles or Maryland basketball or whatever. Uh, yeah, you can find all that at the website, too. So, yeah, it's, it's more for the other side of the beltway, I'll, I'll confess, <laughs> but uh, if anybody bleeds orange and black or purple and black, uh, you know, around the D.C. area, we, we've got you covered. Well, I mean, you're doing in Baltimore what I'm doing in D.C. a little bit. But, yeah. you, know, you know, the one the, – and uh, the people on the other side of the river don't always understand this. But the thing that Baltimore and Washington truly share in is Maryland sports and Maryland basketball, yeah. which has always been, you know, the number one product. You know, it's always been a basketball first school. And, yes. and this year in particular, I actually think they're legit good. I think this is a sweet 16 yeah. team. So. Yeah, I'm 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 uh, cautiously optimistic. Um, I still have reservations about the the coach. You know what I mean? And yeah. when it comes time to to be a master tactician, and and when they don't have the talent imbalance in their favor, how's that going to play out? But no, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, this is the first time my kids are my boy. My my daughter doesn't really like basketball. My boys are about to turn twelve and one seven, so they haven't been around too many good Maryland team. So it's been fun watching them, you know, watch Bruno Fernando do his thing and get a little bit excited. So no, hopefully they keep it going. Yeah, and it's really, you know, in terms of live sporting events in either market, Baltimore or Washington, there is there's very little that compares to a big game uh, you yeah. know, at, at Xfinity Center in terms of the atmosphere. Um, all right, I, I called you because of, of what you reported last week on the Redskins, so I want to sure. get I want to get to that, but more broadly, you know, the feeling that many of us have, fans and media people alike here, is that the Redskins have become so unattractive, it's been building, obviously, yeah. over a long period yeah. of time, that, that getting quality people to work here has become very, very difficult for Dan Snyder, yes. Bruce Allen, anybody else. Is that a reality in league circles? Yes. Yes, and it's why when people would ask me in November and December, is Jay Gruden in any trouble, I'd say. Like, is the owner satisfied with him? Does the owner think he could do better than him in his mind? 
Yeah, but he's also been down this road enough to know that he doesn't want to be left with his pants around his ankles again like he was with Jim Zorn, and that's where this would have gone. A quarter of the league looking for coaches, a year where there are not a lot of hot candidates, and people are diving on Matt LaFleur and Zach Taylor and Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, who, who's coming to watch? You know, like, it's, it's, it would have been an incredibly tough sell, and it would have been a very competitive marketplace where supply already doesn't meet demand. And that's why I think he was doing what he was doing, which was trying to get Bowles and Williams in the building one way or another, knowing, okay, well, if this falls apart, I could, these guys could take over for eight weeks, 12 weeks, six weeks, four weeks, and then maybe be my guy moving forward. And um, I, I don't think that was uh, – <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that that was like uh, just sort of happenstance that, oh, yeah, those guys have been former head coaches as well. I think that was very much – part of the allure, uh, you know, because again, who, is he going to, is he going to get the best and the brightest right now? No, but could he get people in the building who he feels like could be there as in-house replacements? I think that's probably the best he thought he could do. And he wasn't even able to do that. You know, on some level, I believe that the same, that, that Dan also feels with respect to Bruce. Now, Bruce is a security blanket for him. You know this. Yeah. I mean, he's he's his voice in league meetings. Dan's become virtually a recluse here over the last, uh, you know, few years. He's not comfortable, as you know, um, talking, uh, yeah. you know, media-wise, and even in league meetings-wise, and, and that's where Bruce has been, you know, a real comfort to him. But I think on some level, too, when it comes to the front office, do if if there were a quality person available, could he attract that person? Not with Bruce in the building. Not with people worried about where those allegiances lie. And yeah, oh, now I've moved him over to the business side. Well, does, I mean, does that mean he's only going to whisper business things in your ear? You know what I mean? Does that mean when you guys are having a bottle of red wine, allegedly talking about the next stadium or whatever, or whatever's going on in Richmond, that he isn't also, you know, hey, by the way boy, that second-round pick's a real dog. You know, they really messed that one up. Like, it, I mean, how did it go with Scott? You know, like, it's, it's, not, it's really not tenable. It's, it's an either-or proposition. If you, I mean, the next step is he, he has to go. He's probably going back to if, – if it's not a Greg Williams or a Todd Bowles taking over next year or something like that. And I would add, he hasn't hired defense since Marty, right? Right. Yeah. So no, that's 100% right. At some point, right. do you realize, you know – your excuse me, sorry about the call. Your perpetual chasing of sort of you know a, a guy over the hill or a guy who hasn't proved anything yet or a guy who whatever is buddies with Bruce's buddies. Like the whole chasing the quarterback thing isn't working. Like so maybe they go defense in that regard. But if they don't, excuse me, that, that his next move is probably back to the Gibbs model where he tries to find somebody who can do everything for him and set the whole thing up. The Gibbs model, the Shanahan model the Schottenheimer model. You know, he tends to oscillate between, here, come save me for myself, and here, uh, let's just see who'll take the job under these conditions, and eventually we'll get somebody to do it. Look, I made the case a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that if he's going to suck at being an owner, which he does, he might as well do it the way that he used to do it, having fun. It can't be any worse to go overspend for everything than it's been with a guy who you know has been a master at getting a bargain on average players, which is Bruce Allen. Right. You know, so uh, I I don't know that that's completely out of the question in the future. But w- with respect to your reporting last week in the aggressive pursuit of Todd Bowles, did yeah. they ever get close? I can't say that they got close because it, it there was never a point where I heard 
there's never a point where I heard where Todd was really willing to do more than just listen, you know what I mean, and see where it goes. But, you know, he, he's like, look, what would it take for you to do this? And my understanding is Todd never really laid out the full kit and caboodle. It was obvious that money wasn't going to be an issue, that future of the organization wasn't going to be an issue, and that even if it meant um, – hey, let's give Doug more power. You're comfortable with Doug, and you know Doug, and you guys are former Redskins players, and you know, let, maybe we, we rearrange the division of labor. All that was on the table. But Todd's a pretty smart guy. You know, Todd just got out of a, right. a weird, awkward situation in the Jets. Todd was being wooed. He had, the, he had his buddy Bruce, Al, uh, Bruce, Bruce, Allen, Bruce Arians coming after him in Tampa. He had the Cleveland Browns and what looks like it's set up to be really successful. He had them coming after him. Um, he had every guy who thought he was getting a job in the league asking if he would be their D coordinator. Hey, can I list you as my top candidate? So he had incredible leverage. And, and you know, throwing $3 million at him, $3.5 million at him, wasn't really going to do it. Todd needs to go somewhere that's stable, that's conducive to success short and long term. And let's face it, <laughs> B.A. is year to year. I mean, they could win 10 games this year and B.A. be in bad health, and he just says, right. hey, I'm out. And Todd Bowles is coaching the Tampa Bay Bucks. So, I don't. He knew how much was out there for him. I don't think there it, there, there was much Dan could have done to have him come in. You know, just as an aside, I for whatever reason I've just been a Todd Bowles fan, regardless of his record as a head coach, and and I think the league um, spoke about him in what you were just describing that that people really believe he is a talented defensive coordinator at the yes. very least. Yes. Yes. Yes, and his personality wasn't a great fit in New York, and he was with the, he's with the first-time GM, and he's there when Woody takes this job with the Trump and yep. goes over to the U.K., and now Chris Johnson's figuring out what it means to be in the spotlight and answering these questions and making these macro decisions. And, you know, they, they screwed up the quarterback position. You know, let's be real. He comes in in the aftermath of Geno Smith and how bad Tannenbaum and Rex and those guys had butchered it. And then they're taking hack, you know, they're overdrafting Hackenberg and, right. you know, Bryce Petty. You know, like, eh, who's winning? Who was really going to win? And the Patriots are still a freaking dynasty. They're still <laughs> winning 12 games a year and going to the championship game literally every year. So, yes, I think, I think Todd deserves a better sh- uh, another shot and, and a better shot. And I think he'll be better for it. And I just think his demeanor and his approach in New York – not great, but in some of these other markets, I mean, in Tampa, I think, I think it would, I, I think it would work if he can fix that defense some this year. Ba coaches up the offense, and again, Ba, I mean, he ain't gonna be there more than a couple of years. I have a hard time with all he's been through physically seeing him. He's gonna try to win a Super Bowl in the next two years, and then that's it. And that thing could be, if it's going well, that thing could be Todd's. I mean, Dan Snyder might not ever get his hands on Todd Bowles. Uh, Bruce Allen spoke uh, the other day for the first time, I think, in over a year. And one of the things that was a a head-turner was this notion that Greg Minuski um, was involved in these meetings. And I said yesterday, he may have been involved in meetings to replace Kirk Olivadotti or Torian Gray, but there's no way in hell he sat in on the meeting with Todd Bowles. Is that right? And Dan Snyder. No, it was not Todd Bowles, Dan Snyder, and Greg Minuski. I mean, that would be, even by Redskin standards, that would be tremendously awkward. Right. Um, no, no, he was not. This was this was Dan, and Dan said to Todd, "You know, I had two people tell me." Dan said to Todd, "If you're not, if you're not, I'm just letting you know. If you're not doing this, and I understand that I'm on to Greg Williams, but this is the kind of guy I'm looking for. This is where I'm going with this thing. That was <laughs> that was 
that had, like Greg Minuski at this point, you know what I mean? He's along for the ride. Like he's just he's Dan's driving the yacht and he's you know he's steering the yacht and he's on a lifeboat somewhere with it on a dinghy connected to it. And maybe Dan cuts that rope and maybe he doesn't. But that's where this this was the SS Snyder. What did you make beyond your reporting? What did you make of Dan sort of coming out of the woodworks to a certain extent? I'm not suggesting that he hasn't been involved intimately, but most people out there will tell you that it's been different in recent years than it used to be when when Vinny was here, um, you know, before Mike and, and Bruce got here. But what do, you, what do you make of him getting super aggressive and getting involved in sort of this one-on-one attempt to hire a defensive coordinator? I think it's guys he knows, and he knows Todd through the alumni. And I'm told, you know, that him not approaching Todd in the past had ruffled a lot of feathers around Redskins Park, you know, and him not considering Todd for jobs at various times and sort of overlooking him, the arc of his career. One person told me that even Joe Gibbs said something to Dan about it. So I think there about, was, about Todd there, Gibbs said about, something yeah, about how Todd. Come you've never, yeah, like how come this guy? You know what I mean? How come you've never? You're, you're throwing money around all over the place for years and years and years, and all these different coaches, and through his rise as a coordinator, and then when you've needed a head coach in the past, why is this guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where have you never put the press on him? Which, which again, he did this year, but at a point where the, 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 the franchise is so low, Todd's listening with one ear, but it's not really going to go anywhere. So I think you had that personal element of it, and then. As much was was made of him not giving Greg that job and how, you know, the players wanted Greg to have it and Greg thought he was going to get it and all that stuff and how bad the interview went, those two have a very strong relationship. Yeah, you said that and, in your story. And, I, I did. And, and, yeah, go like, ahead. He, he's reached out. I mean, I've been, I've been heard for years that at various points he's reached out and said, hey, I'm not done with you. Like, at some point, if this mess continues, you're a guy I know can clean up a mess. So... That, Greg Williams has been on his radar for a long time. Um, you know, even as Greg's career ebbed and flowed and, and what was, you know, the, obviously the years sitting out and the Saints thing, um, you know, Dan definitely respects him on a certain level. Now, could, how long could that relationship last? I don't know because Greg is the furthest thing in the world from a yes man and Dan ultimately craves yes men. <laughs> right. But he, he also knows that at a certain point, I'll go back to that save me from myself model, you know, and if you hired, if, if you, like if Greg Williams had even come in that building, if that interview had happened, like I'm guessing within five minutes, Greg's like, I only flew here. Cause like, uh, I'll tell you, know, I'm coming here to take this job, but only if you got to like, Bruce, you got to go, you know what I mean? Like we got to have, we, we got to have a big boy front office here. You know, like we got to like, this has got to, like, I'm not going through a business guy, you know what I mean, to get players and get budgets and all that stuff. Well, what's interesting is when you say that, you know, Dan has said to Greg Williams over the years, hey, I'm not done with you yet, this would have been the time. Like, right now. Bruce, you're yeah, gone. The, the Jay, you're gone. Is, again, they're, they're at their nadir. Like, if you're Greg Williams and you got a chance to do these different things and, and go to other teams. Um, but a head coach, I'm talking go- about as the head coach. Well, why, what would stop Dan from calling him a year from now? That's what I'm saying. If you're Greg Williams and, and you're looking at that situation right now and the fans aren't coming to games, you've got players yelling at fans, you've got, you know, <laughs> are they bringing Josh Norman back? Aren't they? You've got a lot of big personalities. I mean, what is, like, is, is Greg Williams going to be the guy who has to come in and, like, try to make this Reuben Foster thing work? You know, who's the quarterback? Who's picking the next quarterback? Like, with all that going on, 
do you want to go there now? Or, or, or like if I'm sitting back as just a calculated outsider, I'm like, why am I going to that mess now? The, the guy already likes me, knows me. I just went five and three with the friggin' Cleveland Browns. If I, if, 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 you know, Darnold's legit and Gase coaches the offense and they've got some pieces on defense the Jets maybe take a big step up, and then maybe there's a head coaching job in Washington or somewhere else, you know? I'd rather go in empowered with an Adam Gase than take this job. Now, yeah, maybe you're the interim there, but you don't want to just be the interim guy two years in a row, and it's just bad. Like, I don't, I don't know that you can make the case that the Redskins are in any way on an upswing, whereas I think with the Jets – there's at least some potential there. I don't disagree with that at all. I'm just saying that that perhaps being the head coach would have enticed him more than being a defensive coordinator. But I also wonder, and you would probably know the answer to this, is there any league hesitation in hiring Greg Williams as a head coach? I don't don't think so. I mean, he's completely reinstated. I mean, I don't know what the league would say. He served that capacity for half the season with the Browns. no, I mean, it's up to any individual owner. Just like, hey, some 31 teams in the league were not willing to claim Reuben Foster on waivers, right? One was. Like, it, it's all going to come down to the, the predilections of, of the individual ownership groups anyway on something like this. You know, he's not on any sort of suspended or barred list, obviously, and he's free to interview with whoever he wants to interview with, and, and any team's free to hire him. So, no, and especially here where they where he's such a known commodity, I think it's even less of an issue. You know, on the Foster thing, I'm just going to uh, veer off here for a moment because I want to come back um, to to Bruce and Dan and Bowles and Greg Williams. But how upset was the league that the Redskins claimed Reuben Foster when they did? And and if they were, why didn't they prevent anybody from signing him in that moment? Well, there's no league mechanism as it currently stands. When it you, you it comes down to the the literal minutia of roster designations, and this is all collectively bargained. And you you know if you're, it's just the way the waiver system works. Okay. Now, could they create in the next CBA some other designation where the league has this window to step in and immediately put him on an exempt list or whatever? You know, they're, they're going to have to sort some of that out. But the way it worked in this instance with how quickly he was released and everything else, you know, had he gone unclaimed, then I think the league would have probably stepped in, said we're reviewing the matter and we're going to put him on an exempt list in the meantime. But as it stands now, there really wasn't much that could have happened. I mean, once they decide to waive that player in real time, he's now got to clear waivers. Um, if they create some designation like – you know, wave slash, I don't even know, uh, no, I, 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 I get, issue or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like no, there has to be some other category. I, I just, you know, I sat here on multiple days in a row, um, you know, as as much of a head scratcher as it was, and, it, you know, it was ridiculous, and it had nothing to do with the presumption of the man's innocence or guilt. It was just horrible timing and optics, and this was the one organization among maybe a couple that just couldn't do it, and they were the, as you mentioned, and this is what started this portion of the conversation, they were one of 32 and I had heard the league was not pleased uh, that they had that they had claimed him so quickly 
uh, off waivers. And, and I just sort of came to the conclusion, well, they should have prevented the dumb, dumb teams from doing that. They should have had a sense that they're, you know, that they're, they're, they have a few teams that are pretty stupid when it comes to this stuff and might actually claim him and not, you know, and not let somebody, you know, uh, basically protected them themselves from themselves. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's sort of, it ha- it's not like something it. that happens with regularity, you right. know what I mean? Right. And it's like, this is the way the league operates. And, and I guess the thought process also was, if you think you're, it's pretty clear he's not, he, he's being viewed as toxic in that moment. If you have the best, whatever, you got all his buddies on the team and your locker room allegedly is raving about this guy, although we come to find out, we don't even know how much of that was true. Right. But if you've got the perfect incubator, then he's going to sign with you as a free agent anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, if they just waited. You could just let it play out, find out a little more information. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. We could spend. Uh, I want to go back to 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 the to the meeting with Bowles because um, you you wrote in your 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 story last week that Snyder was leading the push as you've talked about, um, and that he was willing to alter his personnel structure within football operations if Bowles was interested. Was that a reference to Bruce? Well, in that maybe you know Todd could deal with with Doug rather than having to deal with Bruce in terms of procuring defensive talent. Got yeah. it. Okay. So more Doug having a more significant uh, yeah. role uh, if Todd had taken yeah. the job. Yeah. There was never a meeting with Williams, right? No. No, just phone conversations, setting up, you know what I mean, setting up an interview. He was going to fly uh, fly in from Cleveland, I think, on that on that Tuesday, and I guess have dinner Tuesday or whatever, and then, you know, interview in the Wednesday – um, but really, he was leaning. You know what I mean. The Jets was the more was it was if the Jets were able to come to terms with him, that's where he was going. You know, again, and I don't know why. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You I, would second guess that. Let, right, you know, like yeah. let me jump in on this thing. It's a clean slate. New head coach coming in. Everybody's going to be empowered. We got a potential franchise quarterback. Tom Brady can't keep doing this forever. You know, we got a hundred million in cap space versus. We got to, you know what I mean? We probably got no, to no, pay no, Alex Smith $54 million to rehab his leg. <laughs> right. Um, what's next for, for this organization? Like where, you know, right now, next year does not look very promising. I mean, they're, no. they're, they're in a hole at the most important position on the field, more likely than not. They've got some young talent on their defensive line, Jason. They've yes. got some young talent, you know, on their offensive line. Brandon Sheriff's one of the better guards in the yes. league, and Trent Williams yes. is still a monster at left tackle. But wh- where does this thing go? Are, are we sitting here a year from now with the, ch- with the significant change that the fans – or what's left of the fan base really wanted to happen right now. This is an inelastic relationship with Bruce Allen. It's, it's, it's not grounded in reality or, or, or results or any metric you would objectively use to weigh whether he's doing the job or not. And the state of the organization under his stewardship, it's, it's about loyalty and, it's about if I call him at 4:30 in the morning, he's going to pick up the phone, and it's about if you know, it's just it's about all that other stuff that matters so much to Dan, and he ends up, you know, basically, you know, being head over heels not only with the person, but with 
the mechanics of the relationship. In the way, I don't know how much he ever cared about Vinny Serrato as a person, but there was a lot of things that Vinny did, and that the, the way that the power flowed in that relationship, and the way he could take out his, you know, negative energy on that guy, and, and you know, all the stuff that Dan got his jollies from, that dude keeps coming back for more. So I, I think it's sort of about that, and I also believe there's an, a, a, a sort of perverse part of this that's like, <laughs> the more people push for something, the more stubborn he gets. Like the, I think the more people hate Bruce, the more he loves Bruce. I, I, I don't know. There just seems to be something completely illogical about how it works. So I was hearing a lot of rumblings that with some of the stuff that was going on in Oakland and you know Bruce having maybe one eye on Vegas, that maybe this would finally be the offseason where something changed. And it turned out that Bruce probably is more empowered than ever because you've got a coach now who the owner's picking his staff for. Um, you know, you've got the owner not listening to the fans. You've got Bruce now coming out in Mobile, you know, and, and talking a little bit um, and clearly letting everybody know I'm still, the, I'm still the guy who matters here in football operations. Um, and then you've got all these issues and all these fires to put out, and, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it probably doesn't bode well for Jay Gruden, but I don't know if, if, if Dan will get rid of Bruce. I mean, they're, they're clinging to the idea of the stadium, you know, and I'm sure that's something where he feels like I need Bruce. I I, I don't know. In, I, I, it's hard to crawl inside Dan's head other than, you know, he did finally one day move on from Vinny. And when he moved on from Vinny, he gave everything to Shanahan. So I think whatever he does decide that enough's enough with this, he'll probably I, – I think he'll try to go in that direction of, you know, the Svengali – but can he get, you know, will people take his money? Right. I, I don't know. And yeah. who that guy is, I don't know at this point. You know, it's become a little bit of, of piling on and a throwaway line when, when those of us in, in D.C. media will say it's the worst organization in the league, it's one of the worst organizations in sports. You cover the league. You talk to people in the league. Is it now truly rock bottom is there a worse organization a worse a worse run organization in the sport than washington i mean jimmy haslam's tenure has been a failure no right. that, that that's turning i mean you have to think that's turning that the that there's enough talent there that it's going to save him from himself you know the raiders are still i mean there's still a lot going on there and mark davis is by no means uh um, a genius yeah so let's see how that move plays out. Let's see how this Gruden thing plays out. But, like, that's who you're, look, like you're looking at the Arizona Cardinals right now and, and, you know, taking a shot on Kingsbury and interviewing Hugh Jackson's potential. Like, Hugh Jackson is Cliff <laughs> Kingsbury's offensive coordinator. Like, who does that make sense? Like, really? Like, on what level does that make sense to Michael Bidwell and Steve Kime and those guys? You know, is this Josh Rosen thing going to work, or are they going to be perpetually chasing the guy to replace Kurt Warner? So, I mean, I think, you know, that's – the shallow waters that the Redskins are treading in. I mean, well, we, we, could, we could quibble about which situation is worse or which group is worse, but it's bad. And yeah. it's turning – It's probably, and again, Cleveland is pulling out of this malaise. Yeah. You know, are the Raiders, are the Cardinals, will the Skins ever? Um, you know, I don't know. Miami, you know, Miami I, I think is right there with them. Like, you know, maybe they go 8-8 eight and eight every now and again or, or stumble into 10 wins once every six years, but – they can't keep anything together. They've got no cohesion. They don't have an overarching philosophy or leadership from ownership that trickles down. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're among those teams. 
Uh, remember, you know who loved uh, Hugh Jackson back in the day was Spurrier. Spurrier yeah. loved him coming out of college uh, as well. Um, three three quick questions, and I'll let you run. This has been so nice of you. I, I appreciate it. Do you think the Redskins will draft a quarterback at 15 or earlier in the first round if they trade up? I, I think it has to be on the table. I, I don't know why. Um, if their evaluations point towards you know grades worthy in that range, why you wouldn't? Uh, you're not. I mean, this, the year to get a quarterback was last year. They got one. Unfortunately, now there's a lot of concerns with that. I said in real time, I don't get the rush to do this contract. I don't know why they're coming out at the Super Bowl and giving this guy 28 million a year when you just showed you could rent a quarterback. Like you just rented a younger quarterback. Rent this guy. Right. I, it made no Whatever. Sense. But they did no that. Sense. I mean, I, yeah, that's that's nine thousand percent on Bruce. So, yeah, I think all things being considered, I mean, are you going to go get Tyrod Taylor? They're, not, they're going to be flush against the cap. These guys are so young and so cheap with so much upside. I think they have to be in the market for a quarterback. Um, I think I'm the only person that's actually been a Joe Flacco fan over the years. I just think he's played, he played his best games in the biggest moments and yeah. was a clutch quarterback. Um, where will he land? Because it lo- it's probably not Jacksonville now, right? Won't Foles end up in Jacksonville? I think it's one of those two in Jacksonville, depending on the price tag. What, not, and not just in terms of trade, but also what do you want on your contract? Will Flacco be willing to pay? You know, to play, restructure his deal you know, lower than what it is right now. Um, but, yeah, I would say because of the DeFilippo hire and, um, you know, the way Foles played down the stretch, Foles would probably be Jacksonville's number one option right now. Um, I don't know that they can make a trade for Joe with the contract and with so few teams needing quarterbacks and, you know, I, I, with him being hurt really three straight years, having fairly significant injuries and declining production. I don't know. I mean, if you put great pieces around him, I think he can function. The problem is the teams that are looking for quarterbacks generally, you know, don't have that. And I don't know at this stage of his career that he's developing receivers for you and, and raising the caliber of you know mediocre play, players to very good. I, I think they may end up just making him a June first cap casualty, you know, designating him as a June first cut and letting him go early in free agency if they can't get a trade done at the combine. I was surprised that that, that Harbaugh didn't put him in in that second half after the turnover when it was still twelve nothing. I really was. I th- I thought that was their only chance, and as it proved out, they actually had a chance at the very end. But I. That was a stunner to me in the moment. Was it to you? No. No, I would have been stunned if he didn't stick with that kid after he 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 saved their season. He saved he saved a lot of jobs. Yep. He is the first point where he really looked overwhelmed. And this is they're, they're I mean, Flacco was gone in 2019 even if they didn't draft right. Lamar Jackson unless he had his best season since the Super Bowl, unless he had a season like the Super Bowl year, and that probably wasn't in the cards given how little talent's around him. They can't pass protect at all. You bring Flacco in, he, he, if they got to Lamar seven times, how many times are they getting to Flacco? They only run the ball with Lamar, not that they ran it well that day. Um, I, I think that would have just been a disaster. And now you risk this kid going in the offseason, having to look over his shoulder saying, man, the first time I slip up, they – well, look, you know, I mean, he is the future. They've made yeah. their bed with him, and they've got to develop him. Um, you know, you look at Jared Goff and how shattered he was. They've got to, you know, you don't want to go into the offseason that way, and if you do, you better have the right people there to rebuild them. And it's all about developing him 
and giving him a full off season of all the reps with the ones and all the things he didn't get last off season and building that foundation up and adding some talent around him. So, no, I thought particularly with the way their offensive line was getting overwhelmed, their only chance was throws outside the pocket. They they didn't make the right adjustment. I mean, that that game was horrific. Marty Marty Morningway got fired for a reason after that game. Yeah. He was horrible lack of adjustments, the wrong personnel out there. They they put that kid in a in a position to fail. And he still he still made it a one possession game at the end. I know he did. He did. And I think that the last two years we've seen the best defense in the last ten years, you know, play one playoff game, which is a shame because I thought if they beat Cincinnati last year in the final game of the year, that they would have been hell to deal with in last year's postseason. And uh, you know, they ran into a Chargers team and and what you just said, you know, was all uh there too. But I that defense this year and last year was as good as any I think I've seen in a long time. Yeah, um, and it's weird. A lot of the guys, like individually, I know that people get voted to the Pro Bowl and whatnot, and that's a popularity contest. But, you know, not, not a whole lot of guys getting all pro recognition. But the job that Wink Martindale did, particularly well, calling, calling that defense this year and knowing how to use those pieces was pretty special. I thought he'd get a head coaching interview or two. But it turned out, you know, they only want to talk. They don't really want to talk to anybody on defense. You know, exactly. Vic Fangio and Brian Flores, and that's it. Everybody else is trying to pretend there's like all these Sean McVeighs running around out there. <laughs> hey, I enjoyed this a lot. I really appreciate it. I'd love to do it again with you soon. Sounds good, buddy. My pleasure. All right. Quick moment on Window Nation. Harley, Aaron, Eric, they all listen to the podcast. They love it. Uh, Eric uh, is a big D.C. sports fan. Harley and Aaron are two of the best entrepreneurs you'll ever meet. They've built a a huge company, a very successful company, because they know what customers want and they they know how to handle their customers. First of all, I've mentioned this to all of you that have listened to the podcast before. I've had Window Nation install windows in my home, and it was a great experience for a great price. And there's no risk if you want them to come into your home, give you an estimate, uh, and tell you what you need. They will. Uh, they'll, they'll give you a price, and then you can decide after that. So there's no risk to get a free estimate uh, in your home. And, and right now, um, they're trying to bring home show savings right to your door. If you call them today and mention home show promo, you'll get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free, and there's no limit. Plus, for a limited time only, 0% financing for 18 months. So no interest for a year and a half. Call today, you'll get educated on the newest window models, the latest innovations, and they'll demonstrate them right in the comfort of your own home absolutely free. You'll get factory incentives, plus once-a-year home show discounts from the company that has installed over 450,000 windows in more than 80,000 homes, including mine. Get two free windows for every two you buy, plus 0% financing for 18 months. Call Window Nation, 866-90-NATION, or visit them at windownation.com, 866-90-NATION, or windownation.com, and tell them that I sent you. All right, Tommy is traveling. Um, He's at that age now where they travel a lot. He and Liz are always away, and they've got (laughs) trips planned, and... You know, his wife's in Florida while he's here, and then they meet up in, in the west uh, in the panhandle of Florida and drive to New Orleans. Is that what you're doing right now? Are you in the midst of your drive you know, to New Orleans, or are you already in New Orleans? We are just outside of, of all places, Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> Why don't you check in and see if Bruce is around? I, I know. <laughs> I was thinking I could stop in and see my friend. Um, he's so talkative. Um, yeah, that that's that drive there on uh, on ten, right? Yes, 
Yeah, just Interstate 10 because I've told you before, one of my best friends growing up um, spent uh, spent a lot of time uh, in, well, he was in the in the Marine Corps and then he was in flight school in Pensacola. And so I went down there a few times to Pensacola and we would, we would take that drive through Mobile on the way to New Orleans, uh, which was always more fun than Pensacola, although Pensacola wasn't that bad either. Um, no. All right, let's. Let, I, I want to knock some subjects out here with you because I am assuming that you did hear and listen to Bruce's uh, fifteen to twenty minute interview the other day. What did you think? You know, uh, I got to tell you, I I thought he did better than I expected. Okay. I guess maybe that's because my expectations were so low. I mean, I don't think we walked out with. Uh, with the like the winning off the field kind of soundbite that a lot of us expected, uh, I just I guess my expectations were so low, and I think he did better than I I thought he would. I thought, look, I thought the I thought the reporters did, you know, the best they could in a group circumstance to ask him the questions that needed to be asked. It's difficult to do follow ups in a group situation, like, you know, to call him on certain things. Uh, So, I mean, for the Redskins, I think it was a wash. I don't think it made anybody feel better if you didn't, if you weren't upset with the, if you were upset with the Redskins already. And I don't think it turned anybody in particular saying, well, you know, I I was a big fan, but now after listening to this, I'm I'm not going to be with this team anymore. I don't think it had any impact except just the piece, the, uh, the masses. Uh, I agree with you on the group of reporters that were there. I thought they did a pretty good job. Um, I also said yesterday that I thought he was a little bit more poised and under control um, for somebody who's been basically under attack. But there were moments, Tommy, the, the, the we're close section of the interview, you know, seven and nine and then a year, a game out last year and a game out the year before. They were four games out, by the way. A year ago, not one game out. Uh, they got clobbered this year, you know, four games by 24 or more. And I thought it was a bit of a peak inside of Ashburn um, or inside the offices of, of Bruce and Dan that they're still, you know, delusional about what they are. Like he, he specifically said, look, we're close and, you know, he said he's not going to use the injuries as an excuse, but then he referred to the injuries and the health of the team on on multiple occasions. That was a bit of a uh, – that was – look, I think there was a bit of a used car p- uh, pitch in there as well that he continues to take reporters and fans um, as simple-minded or, or more simple-minded than, than he um, is. Uh, but there was also the part about Minuski being involved in some of these meetings. I'm surprised that that you didn't that, that you didn't mention either one of those. Well, again, my expectations are so low. I, I expect I expect anything. Uh, as, you know, as far as we're close, it's nothing that we haven't heard from Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden said the same thing. True. You know, we're close, and he'd say the same thing. Injuries aren't an excuse, but then when I called him on it, he went through all the injuries. That, that, that they had. So, I mean, that, 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 that mentality exists inside Redskins Park uh, doesn't surprise me. And, you know, whatever he said about Minuski sitting in on the interviews, we don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is. No, we really don't know if that's true because that's, that's, that's sort of like, I mean, that, that's 
that that's that's humiliation. That's humiliation. I mean, look, I mean, Greg Minuski, I'm sure, feels humiliated within his peer group. I mean, you know, within other coaches around the league who see what's going on here and see what he's being subjected to. Uh, I, I, I'm not so sure we should just buy into the fact that Bruce, remember, Bruce, Bruce was the one who said Scott McLuhan was, was preparing his grandmother's funeral uh, four weeks after she died. So, I mean, I think, I think he, he's, he's a blatant liar. Yeah, I, I, I really felt that it was probably more or less him talking about Minuski being involved in meetings, but not the meetings for his replacement, like meetings to replace yeah. Kirk Alavadati or Torian Gray, you know, other the, the other position uh, coaches, uh, perhaps, was what he's referring to as he tried to, you know, deflect and, and not necessarily yeah. answer those questions uh, In other words, a kernel, a kernel of truth. Right, but not close to the real truth. That's right. Um, I also thought the part where you know he and he's done this before, and it really is to me maybe him at his most disingenuous, and that is when people uh, and I forget who it was who asked um, about you know is there a need for a general manager you know and he said I'm very confident in Doug Williams and Alex Santos and Kyle Smith and Eric Schaefer and he's constantly referring to all of these people that have these titles in a way in which he wants you to you know uh, leave the the conversation thinking ah he's not actually as involved as people say he is but he is hence Doug Williams really had no idea that the Alex Smith trade um and he was surprised on the on that morning and, and told you know don't answer your phone um but he, that that's been a go-to move for him to push everybody else out there uh, and try to hide behind, hey, you know, we're a consensus group, and I'm just overseeing the whole thing, but we've got talented people making the decisions. But let's think about what they're trying to accomplish here. I mean, did, did anyone, does anyone who has, who has at least, you know, been so disgusted, any fans out there that are on the level of disgust with this franchise, do you think that, he convinced them of anything? No, and to your first point, I don't know that he could have turned anybody off even more. I think the take the biggest takeaway from all of that was, oh my God, he thinks we're close. And they're fine with being nine and seven in a wild card team. Like that's what they aspire to. Yeah. I, I think that yeah. was that may have, I, I, that may I'm have been sure. more the headline than anything else, but that's not a surprise, but it was just confirmed, you know, recently as in 2 days ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean basically they they are at the point where you know, they're not going to convince anyone who has given up on them that they're that that they could be taken seriously and they're and they're down to their core group that unless Bruce Allen is brought in, you know, arrested by the FBI, that core group's never going to give up on them. They're down to the bare bones. Yeah, they are. And so nothing Bruce Allen says is going to turn off that core or convince the ones who are, are jumping ship to get back on. All right. Uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, I wanted to get your quick thoughts on that. Mariano Rivera, Martinez, Halliday, Mussina. Um, all four of them were on your ballot. Uh, yeah. Anything surprise you? I was surprised that Messina 
gained so much momentum over the last couple years by doing basically nothing. I mean, this guy, like I said, he, he when he retired, he fell off the face of the earth. He went back to Montforsville in central PA, and he coaches high school basketball. And this is a smart guy who could have done anything in the game, from the broadcast booth to anything to be a front office executive. But he just disappeared and let his let his track record of work speak for itself. And he went from, I think, 21% of the vote the first year he was eligible to just getting over 75%. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I always thought he was a Hall of Famer. In the 10 years he spent with the Orioles, four of those teams had losing records, and he had a winning record in three of those four seasons. Uh, he pitched in a bandbox ballpark, uh, in the American League uh, with the designated hitter and in a steroid era, and he was consistent. So uh, he's the best pitcher I ever saw day in and day out. That was a pleasant surprise. Uh, Mariano Rivera, 100%. Look, I've never bought into the idea that you make a guy wait. I mean, a guy's a Hall of Famer or not. So I vote for guys when they first become eligible. It, but, but it just is interesting that Five, six, seven years ago, we didn't know what to make of closers. We didn't know their value when it came to Hall of Fame voting. You know, I mean, a guy who pitches one inning a game, how do we quantify that in terms of fame? But he was so overwhelming and so dominant in that role that he just crushed that notion. And of all guys to get 100%, I think it's funny that it's a closer who gets 100%. Back to Musina for a for a moment. So, if there wasn't this promotional, you know, uh, push uh, from him or any of his people, what was the difference over the years? You know, it could have been the change of the game. To uh, even though wins and losses don't count among the geeks, he has 270 career wins. Nobody's going to get over that ever again. You're never going to – I mean, in, in this day and age with specialist relief pitchers, you're not going to see a guy get to 200 career wins unless Bartolo Colon pitches until he's 65. Nobody else is going to get to that mark. So maybe people looked at the 270 wins and said, wow, this is – over 18 seasons, this is an impressive, uh, uh, you know, amount of victories. Uh, and just the disappearing starting pitcher – may have made Messina more attractive. All right. Um, any, any... And you know what? In, in Washington for the Nationals, mm -hmm. we're, you're all going to have a chance to do go through the same thing again and enjoy it because Max Scherzer will be up on that stage someday. Any thoughts on Clemens or Bonds and where, where they got to at 59.5% and fifth, just over 59% for Bonds? You know, the, their finish was a lot less than what was projected, I think. I, I'm surprised they're still in the 50s at this point. I think they only got two shots left at the Apple. Uh, and uh, they've got a weak field coming up in their final year of new guys on the ballot. But uh, while I thought their chances were increasing, I thought they would have taken a bigger leap. They have 15% of the vote to go to get back on there. They, they just may not get in, which is fine with me because I don't vote for them. Um, you know, I actually recorded an interview with Steve Sands, which people are going to hear after um, this conversation. 
And uh, before we, you know, th- we got done um, talking, and then he had a, a quick follow up for me, and he he said to me, he said, "Why is there no buzz for Bryce Harper? Why is the buzz low on this Harper free agency?" He feels that way, you know, from from Orlando or from whatever tour stop uh, he's on. He doesn't think that it's getting quite the attention um, that he thought it would. Do you agree with that? I sort of agree with that. I don't feel like it's there's this obsession with, with you know, a guy that people thought was you know a superstar in the game, and and this free agency had been long, you know, anticipated. You know, he's probably right. There may be some fatigue set in. I think in the early days of it, in December, I think there was a lot more buzz about it than there is now. There just, I mean, we're at the end of January. And I think there's just maybe some fatigue set in that people are tired of wondering where he's going to sign. Uh, so that they may have lost some steam just to over the course of how long it has taken. If he had signed in December, uh, when I think there was a lot more interest and momentum, it would be a bigger deal. Uh, but here we are, what January 24th, and neither one of these guys signed. That, that's I, I would not have predicted that, and I think that's taken some of the steam out of it. And i got to tell you, you know, Bryce, I don't know who handles Bryce Harper's Twitter account, if it's him or if it's somebody else, but uh, I think I think it's, uh, I, I, for lack of a better word, it's kind of low that he seems to like to play games with his Twitter account about people speculating where he's going to sign. Like he will take something, like somebody will write a story about where he might sign or or somebody might ask, and he'll retweet it with, you know, like with uh, question marks or with eyes looking at it. And it's almost, I mean, if you're a Nationals fan, do you really want to see, you know, uh, the, the guy who was the star of your team playing around with the idea of where he's going to play next year? It's sort of like a cat, uh, you know, playing with a little mouse that's trapped in a box. I don't like it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, but I think that that's also reflective of of his generation. They're consumed with yeah, with I the so. with the reporting and the reaction to this. But I, I going back to what uh, you know Steve said to me, and that I don't think that was part of our our interview. I think it was right before I hung up with him uh, after we finished recording the interview. I I would think on some level that that Scott Boris and and Bryce Harper are a little bit disappointed that the attention isn't even greater. And certainly the money isn't going to be where they thought it would be a year ago. Uh I'm more I think the latter I think they're probably much more disappointed about. It's certainly not the 400 million dollar figure that uh everybody thought including me that he would be approaching unless somehow Boris, and I don't underestimate him, his ability to to pull a team, a rabbit out of his hat and stun everybody with a final decision. I mean, the longer it goes, it seems like, you know, the Nationals offer uh, <laughs> was a good it's offer. Still, it's, and it's still in play, I think, because let's say someone offers some $350 million uh, over 10 years. Are the Nationals really going to let Bryce Harper leave for five million dollars a year, which is that, which is what it would come down to? I mean, nobody's going to do that. That that would be foolish. So unless it's like a dramatically different annual amount, 
why wouldn't she just say, okay, we'll, we'll do that? You know, if he ends up... So I'm up, thinking now he might wind up back in Washington. You know, if he ends up back in Washington... Okay, so you've changed your mind on the Dodgers? Uh, well, you know, there's no reason to think they're in it other than... I mean, I, you know, I did the math and it made sense to me, but there's nothing else to indicate that the Dodgers are in it. So, uh, I mean, I just may be, you know, holding up a false flag. Um... Okay, so for those of you that will hear me uh, ask Steve Sands or tell Steve Sands that Tommy still thinks that the Dodgers are, are the landing spot, Tommy's just updated that before we run the Steve Sands interview. I could actually go back and put the Sands interview before Tommy's conversation, but I don't want to do that. I want to put Tommy um, up high in the show. It, not that I don't want to have Sands up high in the show either. Okay, stop talking, but you Kevin. Better, you better right, know Bruce, the stop, order. Stop talking, Kevin. Uh, yeah, well, you would be upset. Uh, Sands couldn't care less. Uh, but but yeah. to, to your point on Harper, you know, one of the if he ends up in Washington, then his best move in hindsight, hindsight's always 50-50, as Steve Spurrier once said, would have just to, to, to it would have been to take the immediate offer back in you know in the fall whenever it was offered uh, and stay in Washington because I think what this process has really, uh, has really reflected on some level is that he wasn't as sought after and this Bryce Harper free agency mania never materialized. It, it actually, on some level, I think has hurt his reputation a little bit. You know, you, you, you have a good point. I mean, uh, there's, I mean, in terms of marketing, uh, it's not something he can take and say, look at look at how the whole offseason was about me. Now, you know, within the baseball industry, it has been. But, you know, outside of that, in the sports world, in the, in the daily sports world, it's, so, it's lost a lot of steam. So I think you're right. I think your point is, is well taken. Uh, but I don't think and, – but, but and again, if he signs in Washington, uh, I know he's got an Under Armour marketing deal that pays him more based on where he signs. And Washington isn't one of those places. Uh, so, I mean, in a way, if he stays in Washington, it's sort of like waving that white flag of saying, well, you know, maybe I'm not the mover and shaker that I think I am. On the other hand, it would be a great victory for the city of Washington as a sports town if Bryce Harper decides to spend the next 10 years here. All right. Uh, I'll let you run. That was all I needed from you, unless you've got something else. I got nothing else, boss. That's the best I can do. What's that? Not good enough for you? No, it was great. But I, you know, you you you're busy and you're in the car and you guys are headed uh, somewhere and it's it's nice when older people travel together. So I want you to enjoy your time off and and we'll talk on Tuesday. You want to talk to Liz? You want to put her on the show? I would love to talk to Liz. Liz and I have a no, lot to. Want, we have a lot to talk want about. To do with you? Yeah, we got a lot to talk to about. It's been a yes, while. I know you both have a lot to talk. about. <laughs> yeah, we I do. Know. All right. Um, uh, have a good trip. Enjoy it. And I'll talk to you next All week. Right. All right, boss. All right. Bye. See you. Tom, everybody. Uh, let me tell you about Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in the heart of Fairfax. Uh, Farish should be on your list if you're considering something new. Ralph Perkins runs Farish. He's great. Um, he and Kevin Farish run a great dealership, and they really understand their customers um, better than most. Uh, right now, if you go to FarishCars.com, you'll see their live inventory, uh, their live pricing, their best deals, and you'll notice that their rebates are the best they've been 
all year long. They're trying to get rid of all their inventory right now. The Jeep Cherokee, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the Jeep Wrangler, all three of them, best deals of the year. Same goes for the Ram pickup. Also, Farish has a Subaru dealership and a used car lot. So if you're thinking about a Subaru, give them a shot. And if you're thinking about something used, um, they've got a ton of used cars on their lot, and they're trying to get rid of those as well. You'll get a great deal on that. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. Ask for Ralph when you get there. Tell him that I sent you. He will connect you with their best salesperson. And again, you can find everything you need to know about Farish at FarishCars.com. Live live pricing, live inventory, and their best deals. All right, let's get to some golf because Tiger Woods uh, opens up his season today uh, at Torrey Pines in lovely La Jolla. Uh, Southern California. Steve Sands is there for the Golf Channel and for CBS this weekend as well, and you see him on NBC all the time, and he's a good friend, and he's a massive, uh, as most of you know, DC sports fan, having grown up here. Um, by the way, uh, in in just referring to lovely La Jolla, what is your favorite tour stop? Next week, the Waste Management Phoenix Open in Scottsdale is the best week of the year in golf. It's the only time of year in golf where you actually feel like you're at a massive sporting event with crazy crowds and cheering and booing and people who are hammered and just having a good time and you know that kind of thing. Next next week is the coolest week of the year on tour. They couldn't do it every week, Kevin, but next week is the coolest week of the year on tour. But this week might be the prettiest place. I mean, my gosh. Well, um, I mean, San Diego, La Jolla, Del Mar. I mean, this is a this is a fabulous place. Yeah, it it really is the you know the the um. The Scottsdale tournament next week is also typically right on Super Bowl weekend uh, as Always. well. And I remember one of the Arizona Super Bowls that I was out there for just being there the week of the Super Bowl and that tournament. And that place was a madhouse. And there is no other tour stop like it where where fans are encouraged to be as loud as they can and as raucous as they can. Um, and it's 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 quite a week in Scottsdale um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, next week is um, all right. Correct. You know, uh, it's the only event. It's the only event of the year on the PGA Tour that wants to be Super Bowl weekend. You know, that's a, that's Super Bowl weekend has become a national holiday. Right. And Scottsdale, the event on the PGA Tour, they want to be it. So it's the only event that transfers from network. You know, the only two networks who have golf or CBS and NBC. So this year CBS has the Super Bowl and sometimes when we have the when we when CBS has the Super Bowl, we have the Waste Management Phoenix Open on NBC. When NBC or Fox has the Super Bowl, CBS has it. So once every third year we get to do it on NBC and it is a blast, man. It is a lot of fun. You know what I just I, I just noticed about you when um we got ready to call? You 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 have a Twitter account? But you don't participate on Twitter. Do, you don't participate in social media, period, do you? I do not. If I want to call you or text you, I just call you or text you. When you and Tommy go back and forth, all the Twitter nonsense, and are you going to answer back and are you going to talk to him? I don't, you know, I, I, I don't have time for that garbage. Let you and Van Pelt and all the big wigs have your Twitter. I just lay in the weeds. And, you know, I don't even know how to get on Twitter. I don't care to get on Twitter. I don't want to do social media. No Facebook. You know, Valerie does all that. I don't. I don't, I don't care about any of that social media stuff. If I want to call you and Van Pelt and all the boys to talk about Maryland hoops and the skins and the caps or whoever we're talking about, I'll just text you or call you. I've got no time for social media. You know what? You have it. I really admire that. 
I, I really do because I don't really enjoy it either. Yeah, you sneaky enjoy it. No, I. The, the, the truth of the matter is, I'm not even on. Like, I'm not on Facebook anymore. I got the hell off Facebook a few years ago, and now with this podcast. You know, Aaron created a Facebook page for the show because apparently it's very important in the promotion of the podcast. And I'm more on Twitter now for the sole purpose of, of you know, it's the way to promote the podcast to listeners, to remind them that it's up, to remind them of, you know, specific interviews like this one. You know, I'll put it out later on that I talked to Sands and you can find it at a certain timestamp. But I... I'm with you. I, I don't really enjoy it. I'd much rather pick up the phone and call you or text back and forth with you like we do all the time during games. Um, and and the you know the only thing about Twitter is you do get some you know instant feedback, but I always felt on radio that you got that anyway from calls and other forms. But whatever, I I, I admire it. Well, but I I've, really but do. I've heard, but I've well, but I've heard you say. I mean, people at work at NBC and. At Golf Channel, the two places I work, they're always saying, "Hey, you, you should be on Twitter." Right. Like, yeah, I really don't want. To. I, I, I'm, I, I, I like it. You know, like like Kornheiser. I have, I have, I like it when people come up and say hello. I think it's really cool. I talk to them. I chat with them. Have fun with them. But the nonsense of going back. I think people are mean on Twitter. It gives people who are mean and ornery to have this forum that makes them feel like they're more important than they are. You know, I. You know, we don't call these people when they make a mistake at work. I mean, like, I listen to you. I get to hear your show every day, Kevin, and that's the beauty of the podcast. And for those of us who are massive sports fans from D.C., I get to hear it every day. You, Aaron, and Tommy, and all your guests, it's fabulous. But the one thing that you lost, and you say it all the time on your show, is the intimacy of getting those phone calls daily so that you get that immediate reaction from your viewer, from your listeners and the fans out there. That's great. Man, they get mean on Twitter, and they get nasty on Twitter. They don't just debate sports or talk sports or have fun. And I, I just think social media sometimes has lost its way and given people a forum to just be mean and nasty. And I'd rather just be a sports fan and, and talk and debate sports. And who's the best? Is, is Brady the winningest quarterback or is he the greatest quarterback? As opposed to just getting mean and nasty with people like people do on social media. Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. I think the one thing when you do a long-form you know, uh, talk radio show, or in my case right now, a podcast, the one thing that it's helpful for is it does give you ideas. And, and you know, every day, I mean, you, you know this, um, you know, every day you've got to come up with a new, you know, way to talk about sometimes the same things, you know, and, and do it in a, in a creative way. And I do think that... Uh, and I've always felt this way about the callers, the listeners, just in general. And I, it wasn't that I, I I loved the calls. There there were times where I thought they were great, especially on days after games. You know, the emotion of the market. You know, after a game, I do miss that to a certain degree. But I think what happens is, I, I well, what I'm saying is, I think that most of the people that listen to the podcast or listen to the radio show, I think they're really smart. I think we have a smart fan base. Um, and I think there's some really good ideas that come out of it. But you, but you're right. There are plenty of people that are on there um, just to try to make your life uh, miserable. But anyway, I, I noticed that this morning. I wanted to bring it up. Let's get to Tiger. Um, before we get to some of the predictions that basically is the thing that everybody's doing here over the last few days for Tiger in 2019, does it make sense 
to think that he should be better this year than he was last year because he may be stronger, he may be more confident, he had a season to compete and to get back into that competitive environment. Is it reasonable to think that he should be better? Yes. Um, I know he's a year older, uh, which usually in sports means that you're not going to get better uh, at this age, not when you're in your 20s, but when you're in your your mid-40s, 43 years old now. Um, I think the win at the tour championship, Kevin, was big because mentally, which is amazing because he's the most mentally tough athlete I've ever been around in my life. And mentally, he got across the finish line for the first time. So he knows he can now do it. It was a limited field. It was a perfect circumstance. Only 30 guys in the field. Most of the time, every single week, he's playing against 144, 156 guys. Uh, So the chances are, are less. But there's no question he should be better if he stays healthy. If his back is okay, uh, there's no question he will be a better golfer this year than he was last year. Will the scene be the same this year everywhere he goes? I mean, the scene in Atlanta at the Tour Championship was just incredible. Um, <laughs> w- will we get the same response? Will the ratings be the same? Or d- was last year unique in some way? The ratings will be the same, if not higher. Uh, and if he gets into the mix like he did at the Tour Championship, you'll see crazy numbers like that um, coming down the stretch on Sundays, uh, whether it's on you know RAR and NBC or on CBS. Uh, he just draws like nobody else. I mean, you and I, Kevin, are as big a sports fans as, as we know, and nobody moves the needle more in his or her sport like Tiger does. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's unreal, the difference between when he's in the mix and when he's not in the mix as far as the television ratings. So I think that the ratings will be there. They'll always be there for Tiger. He's just that big of a draw. You won't see a scene like that at the Tour Championship with all those people pouring down 18 because I think the PGA Tour got really nervous that something bad could have happened there security-wise. <laughs> uh, was, I was in the middle of it, and it was fabulous. I thought it was great. Tiger thought it was great. His caddy, Joey LaCava, thought it was great. There was not an issue to be found. There wasn't anybody having any kind of weirdness or uncomfortability. Nobody was uncomfortable at all. But I don't think the tour wants to have that. So the crowds will be here and the ratings will be there. But I don't think you'll see all those people pouring onto the fairway like we did at East Lake in Atlanta last September. There may not be an answer to this question, but I'm just curious. Is there a place where Tiger Mania is greatest you know, whether it's, you know, overseas or here or a venue here, is there a specific place that just is so waiting for his big moment and, and, and tiger obsessed? Well, there are a couple of places where he's had crazy success. This is one of them, Tory Pines. Ironically, the last time he won a major was the U.S. Open at Tory Pines. That was in 2008. That's 11 years ago. It's amazing. Uh, He's won here eight times, seven times at this event, the Farmers Insurance Open. Uh, He's from this part of the country. He's from Southern California, just up the road from here. Uh, They love him here, but you're going to love this. Not that I have an East Coast bias, but people out here, they don't care about sports as much as we do. (laughs) It's it's too nice. It's it's pretty. I'm looking at the Pacific Ocean. There are a lot of things to do here. when he goes to Orlando and Bay Hill, he used to live in Orlando. Uh, he's won at Bay Hill uh, like he has here at Torrey Pines a million times. 
Uh, they love him there. But the place where he gets the most reaction and the loudest is pretty obvious. It's in New York. New York, as much as I love D.C., yeah. Philly, New York, Boston, D.C., best sports fans in America, New York, they're the best. They're the loudest. They're the most knowledgeable. They have the high end and the lower end. Uh, they get right up in their grill, uh, and he gets an amazing, amazing reception when he's there. Either New York or places, Kevin, where he has not been in a long time. You know, when he goes when he goes to a tournament per se somewhere, and he hadn't been there in five or six years, the place goes absolutely crazy. But they go crazy for him everywhere he goes. Yeah, Beth Page for the PGA oh, in May God. could Beth be Page. insane. Uh, could be insane. It'll be insane. How about the How about the Ryder Cup there in twenty four? Right. I mean, um, it's going to be and, New York sports fans are fantastic. And you know what? With the British Open, with the Open Championship being in Ireland for, is this the first time in Ireland or the first time in forever in Ireland? First time, first time in 56 years. So it's I, Northern Ireland, it's going to be insane. That'll be insane. Be we, you know, you know, we, we Irish can get a little bit fired up uh, for, for a Tiger run uh, at a major. All right, let's, um. Let's get a little loose in Ireland. Yeah, it. just just a little loosened up there. Uh, how many times will he win this year? And where? Like, where do you think he's going to win? I think he'll win once, and I think it'll be at Bay Hill, or or the Memorial. And I only say that because of scheduling. Um, if he allows himself to play a little bit. I don't think he's going to win this week because he hasn't played so long. Um, and then he takes a little bit of a break, and then he goes to L.A. And then he takes a little bit of a break. And I, I just think Bay Hill is a perfect spot for him in Orlando or the Memorial Jacks Tournament uh, outside Columbus, Ohio, and Dublin, Ohio. Uh, those two. I don't think he's going to win a major. I think he's going to win either Bay Hill or the Memorial. Well, that's interesting because at his age now, if you don't think he's going to win a major this year, do you think he'll ever win one? No. Did you feel the same? It's, cra- it's crazy. It's insane that I'm saying that because he's Tiger Woods. He's the greatest player of his generation. I just, I just don't think he's going to. Although I will say, Kevin, this is the year. Augusta National, although he hasn't won one since 2005, but Augusta National, he's won there four times. Uh, Beth Page Black, he won a U.S. Open there, and they're playing the PGA there. The U.S. Open in June is at Pebble Beach. He's won a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. And then Northern Ireland, Royal Port Rush in July for the Open. Nobody's played there. Uh, Rory McIlroy has a nice advantage because he's born and raised there, but nobody's played an Open there. So if there is a year where he's going to win one, this is the year. that The setup for him is perfect. So maybe he'll make a run at one of them. I just don't think he's going to get across the finish line. These guys are not intimidated by him anymore. He's a great player. He's an icon. He's their hero. But they're not afraid of him like his contemporaries were. I mean, he had a legitimate chance to win two majors last year. Yep. And what happened? He didn't win them. I'll, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you a short recap. At the Open, which we had, he had the lead all by himself on the, back on the 11th tee. Yep. On the 11th tee. Right. And he had an iron into the garbage and double bogey. That was when the guy yelled, what, cheesery, and, and had the caps hat on. <laughs> yeah. when, he hit the guy, when he hit the guy in the head. He had the cap Stanley Cup at all, which was fantastic. Um, and then uh, he bogeyed the 12th, and that was the end of him. He was playing alongside Francesco Molinari, the guy who won. That would never have happened in his heyday, ever. 
That guy would have crumbled early. Francesco never crumbled once. Three weeks later at the PGA Championship, Brooks Kepka outlasted Tiger. Tiger plays great. Tiger didn't lose that one like he did the Open. He just got beat. There's a big difference in sports between losing and getting beaten. And he got beaten by a better player that day, Brooks Kepka. And what did Kepka say afterwards when he was asked about Tiger? Yeah, I saw him coming. I saw him on the board. I could hear all the noise all over the golf course. I thought it was really cool. It was awesome. In, in their heyday, the other guys would have crumbled at that moment. These guys aren't afraid of him, Kevin. I don't see him winning a major. You're on the low end, right, uh, based on your, your media contemporaries in terms of the predictions for Tiger. Some are predicting he'll win four or five times on tour this year in a major, if not two. Yeah, I'm on the low end. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the tour championship, Kevin, again, 30 guys, perfect situation for him to win. He only had to beat 29 other guys. And halfway through the event, half of the guys in the field are so far out of it, it doesn't matter. That's fair. So yeah. it's a short field, and I, and I think like a short line, always take that short side, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, not only – yeah, he was in the FedEx Cup chase there at the end uh, as well, oh which gosh. was crazy with was, with Justin Rose. It was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. It was, it was an insane week. It was great. And he deserved the win, and he earned the victory. I just think in a full field, playing four days, I don't know. I, I've got to wait and see. I've got to see how it plays out first before I pick him. What's going on with, with, uh, with Spieth? Man, he, he needs to turn it around. I think he's going to be okay. He's too good a player. Too good a guy, too smart a guy, too smart a player. His golf acumen is really high, Kevin. Um, I think he he needs to enjoy it a little bit more. Uh, he he's not enjoying it the way he did. You know, he had such great stardom, rocketed, you know, to this crazy status in the game. And I think all the things that come with that kind of ate away at him a little bit. I'd like to see him. I sound like a father here, but I'd like to see him enjoy it just a little bit more, smile a little bit more like he used to. Uh, don't grind as much. Uh, the putting stroke will come back. It's too good. He's too good a player. Uh, I, I, I think he'll be okay, but he, he needs to get it. He needs to get it turned around. It gets sideways in this sport more so than any other sport because of the lack of guarantees and, and the, the mental the toughness it takes in this sport. But he is mentally tough, and I, and I think he'll be okay. I think. I think he'll be okay. Uh, for those that are going to watch for the first time this weekend, because Tiger's involved, um, just give us 30 seconds on, on the flag stick remaining in the hole while people are putting new rule. Man, that's bizarre. Uh, you are now allowed, the USGA changed the rule January 1st. You're now allowed to leave the flag stick in anytime. If, if you and I are out there playing uh, in golf cart shorts and a couple of beers or the professionals, it's going to look really strange. If you turn on the TV today, tomorrow, Saturday, or Sunday to watch Tiger or whoever else this week, uh, they are allowed to do it anytime they're on the green. Some guys will do it. Some guys won't. Um, a lot of guys will do it when the putts are longer. Uh, the shorter putts, probably not. Uh, but it, it, it is going to look bizarre uh, for anybody who has any type of golf knowledge to see the best players of the world leave the flagstick in. But it is totally legal. So why did they do this? What was the rationale? Speed of, pace of play. They want me and you to play in a quicker pace because they think that they're losing me and you to time and kids and sporting events and life and 
games and all these different things. Uh, the game has become difficult for, you know, like, let's put it this way. When my dad, when I was a kid, my dad would go play golf if he had a chance. He didn't go to all our games. Now dads, the way society works, dads go to games. Dads go to practices. Dads coaches. Dads coach. Dads all that stuff. And they don't have as much time to play the game. So you want to get kids involved. Kids with video games and all these different things, Xbox, blah, 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 their attention span is shorter than when we were kids, which is hard to believe because our, our attention span wasn't very long either. But you want to get kids involved in the game so it doesn't take as long. And you want to get parents, moms and dads, and people like that to be able to play the game not as, not as long. So all of these rule changes were to make the game easier and better and more enjoyable and also speed up the pace of play. And it, it doesn't sound like a lot, Kevin, but if you take – a minute or 90 seconds off of each hole, you're talking about a half hour less. You know, you're talking about 20 to 30 minutes less. That's a lot. It's a lot for people who say, that's too long. I can't play. I can't get away from, away from work that long. It's, it's you know, they, they try, they're trying to make it easier, better, more enjoyable, and also quicker to, to play. For, for those that don't play golf, and when they see this, it'll be odd if they just watch golf. But um, right. is it is there an advantage? I mean, on a downhill putt um, or a longer putt that may have some more speed at the hole, it's an advantage to have the flag stick in the hole. Correct? It is, and it, it is, and it isn't. It depends. What people don't realize, Kevin, is that when you and I go play golf, we're not playing with the same flag stick that the PGA Tour played with. The PGA Tour flag stick is a regulated flag stick each and every week on the PGA Tour. That's a different flag stick than what we hit. From what, so if what is play, it? Are you talking about dimension, size? Dimensions, thicker, stronger, okay. you know, that kind of thing. So if you're putting downhill on faster greens, you're going to probably leave it in more often. Right. But if you don't hit it square, Kevin, it, it could go farther than it would if you would have just missed sure, the hole. Sure, So – these guys happen to be better than us, <laughs> so it's more of an advantage for them when they know, you know, this week on slower, bumpier greens, I think, you know, perhaps you, you won't see it as much. But I think at Augusta, if they allow it, by the way, there's a, there's a little bit of a conversation that Augusta is not going to allow it, that they're going to implement a local rule and not allowed because they just don't want the optics of that right. at the Masters. Interesting. Um, and that's fine because they're allowed to do that. A U.S. Open can do that. They could do it here in Loyola if they wanted to, but they won't. So it, it's an advantage to the guys who have done the research, have practiced it, and think that they can square up and hit it. It also is an advantage, Kevin, like I said, on the longer putts, gives them a little bit more of a point of reference as opposed to just seeing the cup, at, you know, at, at almost like an optical illusion. All right, you've been a warrior uh, on this call because you you've got a cold, and oh, I want stop. you to, and I want you to save your voice. But um, do you have anything that you'd like to say about our Redskins, Caps, Wizards, Terps, any of the teams that you root for? Do you want to have a conversation about be, anything? The, the cap, <laughs> you're a kind man. The kid, no, I will. I will be very quick. The Caps will be fine. It's a perfect time for the break. Uh, they could use a little bit more strength. Uh, from the guys standing up behind the players on the bench, uh, like they had the last few years with Trots, but I think the talent will 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 wear out, and they'll they'll get into the playoffs and they'll be fine. 
Will they make a run at the cup? Who knows? But they'll be okay. The six-game blip here. The break is coming at the perfect time. Let's put it that way. Uh, the Terps are good. They're young. They got bullied, and they got spanked around the other night by Michigan State. But that's okay. That's a learning lesson. I think it's a sneaky big spot for Illinois Northwestern here. If we can win these next two games, get back on track, I think everything will be fine. They get a little squirrely here, not so much, but I think they're going to be fine. They're, they're good. I think Turgeon is having his best season as a coach. I think the players are good and they're young. Uh, and I believe, and I agree with you, man. Sticks needs to come back because he got muscled the other night yeah. at, at, at the Breslin Center. My gosh. Um, and the skins are a mess. I mean, I listen to you every day. And I listen. I, I listen and laugh. And I. It's just baffling to me how anybody could not want to be walking into Duke Seabrooks or the Palm and be the coolest guy in the room, as opposed to staying in your fifty thousand square foot mansion, be a hermit, and be a complete jackass like Snyder is. I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and Bruce Allen's an, embar- an embarrassment to every single person who's ever thought about or wondered what it'd be like to be a Redskins fan or play for that team. It's it's embarrassing that that guy is the face of our franchise. That <laughs> yeah. thing the other day, that, that that thing the other day was a joke, man. That guy's a clown. Yeah, it was uh you know, everybody wanted him to talk and then he talked and you know, basically once again, you know, made a fool of himself for the most part. How uh, out of touch can you how, Kevin? How out of touch can you be? Seriously. How out of touch can you be? It's impossible. It's it's a rhetorical question. Uh, it, but they, I'm asking. They, like, literally, I know. how out of touch can you be? They are they're they're detached completely. I, nah, I come on. no the no the the last this particular season in the last month or two has been, I think you know startling to even them. I mean, as arrogant as they are, as self absorbed as they are, I think it's even been you know, a bit of a, of an eye opener for them. But again, you know, you do, do you really think that? Yeah, I do. But again, they don't believe it's their fault. So therefore, you know, you're not going to really have an urgency to fix it. You know, they, 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 I think they were certainly alarmed at the numbers this year. You know, we, we can talk about the lack of transparency in previous years with respect to attendance, and perhaps it was just as bad. It wasn't, though. I mean, we've never had a home opener like this year's home opener, and we haven't had a 6-3 and three team with a home game before Thanksgiving weekend or week where the stadium was just three-quarters filled against Houston. You know, it, it, they, they felt it, you know, revenue-wise. I don't think there's any question about that, that they see that, they feel that. But again... When you're, you know, when you lack self-awareness and you have the arrogance that they have, they think it's someone else. They don't think it's them. They they think they're doing the right things, and that's why, you know, that's one of the reasons you don't see significant change. The other is, they don't have many places to turn. The owner, where's he going to turn? No, I know. That I no, I understand that, and I listen to you every day, and I understand. And I totally agree with just about everything you guys always say, but. I understand the lack of self-awareness. I, I totally get it. What I don't understand is, in that particular business, forget the money. It's a results-oriented business. And the record is proving out to be a lack of success. So you have to look inward at some point. I mean, this is 10th year. That is an amazing run in professional sports to have 10 years at this. And Bruce Allen is an embarrassment. I don't understand that. Like, I know he's this drinking buddy and he likes to party and all that stupid stuff. And, 
You know, every every great executive or owner has to have a hatchet man or a bad guy doing the dirty work for him. I understand that. But I just don't get it. I don't understand how we all want to be liked, Kevin. Who would want to walk into the palm and have everybody – guy should never be picking up a check in his life. You think Jeffrey Lurie ever picks up a check when he goes to dinner in Philadelphia? Not are you, anymore. Are you kidding me? That's um, what I'm saying. Like, who wouldn't want to be? Who wouldn't want to be doing it the right? Look around the league and and see the stability and what stability provides. And I I just don't understand. It's rhetorical. It's a stupid conversation to have because the guy's not going to change. But I don't understand why he doesn't want to do better. It doesn't make any sense. It's, I mean, every time you sit down and you try to seriously think about, you know, his position, Dan's position, and what he's thinking, and, you know, you said it, it's 10 years, it's a horrible record, but it's beyond that. The, this guy, you know, the, all of them combined, have chased their customers away. You know, they've right. chased them away, and they've turned what was a an incredible business and i'm talking about the operations of the business not the value of the brand you know uh, you know via yeah, they Forbes, were they were handed the Forbes. keys to a maserati right and they they run it into the ground but the, here's the, the here's the answer you know he gets fooled by um, uh, you know, part of the fan base that continues to show up for some of these things and make them feel like they're the greatest. And hey, don't worry about it. You really want to win. We get it. And you've had these injuries, and it's too bad because we would have won the Super Bowl the last two years without the injuries. But I think it really speaks to he is a loner, and he doesn't have anywhere else to turn. And Bruce Allen, for him, has been his voice in these league meetings. He's been his voice to a certain extent publicly in the market and outside of it, and he's uncomfortable with all of that. He doesn't want to yeah. be the voice or the face, and he's got nowhere else to turn. A, you can call him a loader all you want, but you got to replace the N with an S. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's a loser. <laughs> he's a loser, and he's a bum, and he's a selfish, lack of self-awareness jerk. And he has to understand. So don't sugarcoat it, honestly. Open up and well, tell us how you really you. feel. I don't. You and I don't have a billion dollars. And if we had billions of dollars and we had a chance to buy the Redskins, we might we have a lot of issues. We would run. Well, yeah, we would. We've got. We already now. do. <laughs> so, my point is, in my opinion, when you own a sports franchise, I don't care if it's a pillar of the league like the Redskins or if it's a Jacksonville Jaguars type situation in a town like that with a team like that without any history, you have a public trust that you own and you have got to nurture it. You have got to take care of it. You have got to represent the city and the people of the city and the fans of that team in a certain way. And he has chosen not to. And that's the key, Kevin. He's chosen not to. And that's just unacceptable. And I'm telling you, he's going to lose people. You and I are dangling. <laughs> I mean, we're dangling. This I is know. the first time I hadn't been to a game in years. This is the first time my father, I'm 49 years old, my parents have had season tickets since Griffith Stadium. This is the first time my father has not gone to a game since like 1960. He didn't go to a game. Yeah, he's like, forget it, I don't want to go. A lot of people are in the same you, boat. Yep. 
I know. I, I, I don't, I don't know how it changes. Here. I don't know how it changes. I don't um, think it's going to change either, but we're dangling here. It's, it's, it's very dangerous territory to completely spit in the face of your fans. Yep. It's really, really – and I'm not sure winning turns that around. And by the way, we ain't winning because we're not going to be any good next year either. It doesn't look like it. All right, thank you. Uh, save up your voice. Have a great weekend. We'll be watching. Appreciate it, as always. Last thing, Bryce, Phillies or Nets? That's all I want to know. Uh, Tommy still thinks Dodgers. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Most people don't. Most nobody... people don't. But, uh, you know, it is it is strange, you know, Kemp and Puig and seemingly clearing right. all of the room Trade, for it. Yeah. And and uh and they they're they're not he he thinks there's going to be a surprise ending here that's what he thinks i believe um but anyway yeah, i could see that all right thanks that. uh appreciate it and uh i i will be watching a lot of golf uh starting today through the weekend hope hopefully tigers in it that would be great for you guys on sunday all right bud be good all right great to catch up with steve sands he had a cold today jason lacamfora had a cold today uh, but fortunately, I'm not near them. They called in today, so I'm not going to get a cold. I never get sick, knock on wood. I really can't remember the last time I had a terrible cold or got sick. I probably just jinxed it. So, uh, maybe so when I'll, we don't have the show next week, you know why. Yeah, I'll just, I'm just going to go load up on some vitamin C after the show. Uh, real quickly about launch workplaces. If you're looking for a private office solution or a co-working desk, you're working from home, dogs, kids get in the way of that every once in a while, consider launch workplaces. They have fully furnished offices, uh, brand new space in Bethesda in particular. And if you live in Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Upper Northwest DC, th- this location is phenomenal. Beautiful new space, fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, uh, free parking, 24-7 access. You can get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial. 240-867-14. Mention my name. You'll get a free two-day trial. You can also go to launchworkplaces.com today and you can see all of their other locations uh, in town as well. That's launchworkplaces.com or 240-867-14 for more information. All right, thanks to Steve Sands and Jason Lockenfora and Tommy for calling in. Everybody had a cold today. I hope they all feel better. Uh, enjoy the day. Sorry we got it out a little bit later than usual again today, but some of these interviews we couldn't uh, schedule earlier. We had to wait for their availability, uh, and we were happy to do that. But uh, back tomorrow. Uh, have a great day.